0: Things that I knew assuredly that I wanted to do were operations, community relations, social media, and marketing. And the one thing that I knew I didn't want to do was sales. The only way I learned that I was wrong about all five of those predictions was by doing them. This is the Work in Sports
1: Podcast. Here's VP of Content and Engage Learning at WorkInsports.com, Brian Clapp. Every year around this time, you see a stampede of people flocking to the local track. Fresh new shoes, some cold weather fitness gear, and a fresh attitude ready to take on their resolutions with vigor and excitement. The first day they beat their own personal expectations, really dig into this dream state of where they will be in one month and how dramatically different they will look and feel. The next day, They push even harder, driven to show themselves anything is possible. But on that third day, they wake up. eh, It's a little cold out. Their feet kind of hurt. Their muscles are sore. They decide to take the day off. The second week of January, that track that I drive by isn't quite as busy anymore. The numbers have dwindled. The gear finds its way to the back of the closet. And the attitude towards change kind of wanes a little bit. We've all been here. Science says it takes 30 days to form a new habit, which sounds within reach. 30 days, I mean, I can do that, right? But in truth, that's a pretty big commitment. As we lock into 2022, let's not repeat those same patterns. It's time to set reasonable goals for yourself, things that will change your life, but also be sustainable and habit-forming. Here's an example. We work in sports, I hire we just conducted a rather large study into the problems that employers face when hiring staff. I mean, that's what we do, right? We, we help employers hire good staff. We help job seekers find good jobs and organizations to work with. That's what we do. That's the research we should be conducting. So it's important for us to know how we go about developing products and services that match the needs of the industry. Do you want to know the number one challenge facing employers across all industries? Of course you do lack of skilled candidates. Think about that for a second. It's all going to tie into resolutions and goal setting. Trust me, I'm going to bring it all together. This was the overwhelming winner out of many options, lack of skilled candidates. Employers polled said the biggest problem they face is a lack of skilled candidates. Yes, I am emphasizing this a lot because I want you to hear it. So now circling back to our concept of forming new habits that can be life-changing and sustainable. What if you said to yourself, I'm going to learn a new skill each quarter that is directly related to the career I want for myself. You do the research to discover what those in-demand skills might be. You set a plan to learn, whether that's through online courses, electives, YouTube videos, workbooks, and then you update your resume to include this newly developed skill. Is that sustainable? Is that something that will change your life? Is that something that will make you more marketable in the workplace and set you up for future success? Yeah, it is. Making yourself highly skilled and setting sustainable goals for yourself can work. While I have no idea if today's guest is a fan of New Year's resolutions or goal setting, I can say without a doubt from our conversation, from me interviewing Luke, that he has gone about his career in a methodical and highly intelligent manner. He identified a path, he stayed on it, he followed through on the steps, and he didn't end up giving up on those goals that he set for himself. His first job in the industry was with the Dick Sporting Goods Pittsburgh Marathon. It's a small operation, trying to do a big event each year, which means as a, an employee of a company like that, you do a bit of everything. It's the perfect entry-level type job because you get exposed to a lot of different sides of the industry. For five years with that organization, Luke learned two major things. He loved the creative side of sales, working with partners and sponsors to figure out the right way to build their brand and expose them to their target audience. And he also learned if he was truly going to reach the career heights he wanted, grad school was his next most logical step. He learned what he loved and what he needed by doing By not giving up, by seeing the opportunities ahead of him, and by keeping on that path. Since grad school, he spent five years with DC United in partnership sales, and in the last two as the Pittsburgh Penguins' director of partnership sales. Dream job for a guy from Pittsburgh. Here's Luke Muhammad, Pittsburgh Penguins' director of partnership sales, explaining his how and his why. Hey, Luke. How are you doing today? Thanks a lot for joining me on the show. Brian, thanks for having me. This is exciting. I love these conversations. We're just we're recording this just before the holiday season really kicks off, so thank you for finding the time. I know it's a crazy time in the NHL right now. You're coming up, speaking of the NHL, you're coming up on your two-year anniversary with the Pittsburgh Penguins. You, are, you grew up in Pittsburgh. You went to Robert Morris. You work for the Pittsburgh Marathon and a few other locations and other places, but you're a Steel City guy. What is, I've been in the sports industry for a while, and I've I've never gone back and worked in my home market. I grew up in Boston. I always kind of felt like it might be a bit of a distraction, or it could be a good and bad thing. What's that been like for you working for your hometown team in this capacity?
0: Yeah, there's definitely some pros and cons. You know, I think the the potential con that often may happen to someone when they get into sports, if it's with their favorite team or their hometown team, is you get that peak behind the curtain and you know, it's like if you're at Disney World and you see Mickey Mouse take his head off. Um, <laughs> like, like, like suddenly, the the magic is maybe lost gone, a little yeah. bit. Yeah, and that's yeah. not to say that there's bad things happening in the organization, but it is a business, and mm-hmm. as as much as I love the Pittsburgh Penguins, I still have to do expense reports and other like kind of yeah. arduous tasks. Um, you know, what I think I was fortunate enough to do is it wasn't the first place that I worked, okay. and so I understood how sports business worked and how to separate my fandom from my career. Um, And then was able to come back, you know, a decade after graduating undergrad um, to to know what I know or to, you know, have a better understanding of what to expect and how to separate the two um, and not be jaded by like, oh, this isn't what it was. Because the challenge is you can turn off fandom. So if your team is terrible and you're not happy with management and ownership, you could just do something else through your time. If that's your career, your option is to continue doing it or to quit your job and then you probably dislike that team for the rest of your life and it's been spoiled. You know, a good pulse check for me that I recently had was I was at a wedding and it was with a bunch of friends I'd gone to high school with, um, but they were, we were in each other's like secondary group of friends. So hadn't stayed in close contact since yeah. high school, but, um, you know, good group of guys. And several of them were like, oh, I heard you work for the Penguins now. That just, that must be your dream job. Like, that's just perfect for what you do. And it was kind of a, mm. like, yeah, it is. It really yeah. is. And, and sometimes when you're in the day-to-day, you forget that. Um, you know, when you mm. show up early on a Wednesday morning and it's raining out and you're like, another day in the office. Um, but you step back and you're like, I am really fortunate. Um, yeah. Like, what an awesome opportunity. What a wonderful thing. And sometimes it helps, you need that, that person you haven't talked to in a, de- a decade to point mm-hmm. it out to you um, to realize, you know, what a wonderful situation.
1: It's so funny. I've thought about it so many times because I had opportunities to go back and work in in Boston at a couple of different media organizations because that's been my background is in the sports media. And I was always so afraid that I'd be distracted and like it's so in the moment cheering on my teams that I'd like forget like, oh wait, that's my job. I'm supposed to be doing something right now. So kudos for you to keeping it all kind of straight. I would think that would be a pretty major challenge. Uh, Let's go back a bit before we dig deeper into your sports career and where you are now. When you went to Robert Morris, sports management, but also accounting, as you studied in your undergrad, why that combo? And what did you kind of envision as that path that was kind of being created for you? Or did you even have that kind of concept at that time?
0: Yeah. So my choice of sport management was I liked sports and the idea of having a career out of sports was, was appealing. I didn't know, like most people probably in undergrad, yep. I didn't understand what sports management was or all the different opportunities. Um, but working in sports seemed appealing. Um, you know, my sophomore year, I remember talking to the head of the program and asking, what are, what's the job opportunities like? Yeah. And it was, you're not going to make a lot of money. You're going to have to work in sales. You're going to have to move. And at the time, to a sophomore <laughs> in college, those three things sounded terrible. It was yeah, like, I want right? to yeah. make a lot of money. I definitely yeah. don't want to do sales. And I, I'm never leaving Pittsburgh. Um, and I was one of our, um, one of the classes in the business school was accounting and I was doing well at accounting. And I remember talking to the head of the accounting program of like, what's the job outlook like? And it was, we have companies coming to the school to interview students. Um, and and here's the pulse check. So holidays are coming up, sit at your holiday table with your uncle and aunt and say, you're going to be an accountant. Mm -hmm. Everyone will say, great. Like we love accountant. No one is questioning what, what does an accountant do? Yeah, um, it's clear. Is, is yep. accounting a full time career? Mm-hmm. Then tell them, <laughs> I want to work in sports. I'm going to do sport yeah. management. And you'll get what? Like, what? Yeah. You know, someone will drop their fork. Um, I don't understand. <laughs> how dare you? Yeah. Yeah. Like, how do you make a career out of that? Right. Um, and so I had some of that. It was like, OK, maybe I should be an accountant. Um, you know, I can stay local. I'll make more money. These things seem appealing to me. Yeah. And The way I kind of ended up back into sports, I had, it was my junior year, I was applying for two different accounting internships, so I was going to be an accountant. That was, like, the career path was set. Um, I didn't get either of them, and so I'm thinking, damn, like, here I am, a junior, I've I've got pretty good grades, and I can't even get an internship, and by wonderful chance, I got an email that the Pittsburgh Marathon, the Dick Sporting Mm -hmm. Goods Pittsburgh Marathon was coming back after a a six-year hiatus, and they were looking for interns, and I applied solely to boost my confidence. I was like, I just need mm-hmm. to get something. And so I apply, and I don't like running. Um, so, you know, the the passion play, people are like, oh, you must love running. Yeah,
1: I, I kind of believe nobody really likes running. Yeah. They say they do, but they don't really. Yes. But yes. nonetheless,
0: that's a different subject. Um, and so for me, it was easy. People were like, you must love running. I was like, no, I don't. So I, I don't feel like I'm missing anything, but I right. enjoy seeing, you know, putting these events on. And I came to love the event experience. And what was funny was... Um, you know, the idea of doing sales, I kind of backed my way into and didn't even realize I was doing it, you know, because I had this perception of the, the sleazy car salesman and you're trying oh, to yeah. pull the wool over someone's eyes. And when I actually realized I was doing sales, I was like, oh, this is just, I'm, I'm understanding someone's need or want. I'm yep. trying to provide them a solution. And at the end of the day, that solution probably costs money, a sale, um, but it's a transaction where both parties are benefiting. It's not like the, like, sorry, you, you signed the contract. The car only has three tires. So, like, you're out of luck. <laughs> um, it's not like that. And that's, yeah. you know, even today, I'll talk to students and I'll say, what's your, when I say sales, or I'm a salesperson, what do you think? And they're, you know, car salesman, plaid jacket, yeah. you know, sleazy. It's crazy Uh, that
1: we still can't get past that. But I mean, I haven't worked in sales, but I mean, 50% of the jobs on our job board throughout the industry are in revenue generating sales roles. Like this, this label, this problem is like, I don't understand why we can't get past this conception. Uh, You know, a
0: good way to think of it. So Brian, you're starving right now. You're really hungry. And I come to you and I'm like, Brian, I will sell you this sandwich for $10. And you're like, Great! I'm starving. This is actually what yeah. I need, and I'm ha- I'm happy to trade ten dollars for a sandwich. Yeah. I have just made a sale. I have sold you. I am yeah. a salesperson in this situation, um, but we're both happy. We both right. Would, we'd both reflect on it at the end of the day of like I'm glad that happened. That was a good transaction, and I think most sales transactions are that way. Um, you know, there's some that are maybe like I think of buying a car, even if it's a good thing. You know, there's a lot of paperwork to sign. It's not a an enjoyable experience in terms of all the things you have to do. But generally, every day we're getting sold stuff happily. Mm -hmm. Um, And we're proud of it and excited about it. But for whatever reason, when that's your role as a salesperson, it has this kind of like asterisk next to it of like, oh, salesperson, like, you know, keep, keep them at arm's length because who knows what the salesperson will do.
1: Right. Like there's going to sneak up on you and like yeah. force you into something you don't want to do. I mean, everybody's making their own choices, their own decisions here. Yeah. Uh, but it, it is interesting. It's it's I, I tell this all the time. I was in the sports media and was news director at a regional sports network. And for years, my bosses, the people that I reported to weren't other journalists they were salespeople, right? They were the G- the GM of the station had a background in sales. They understand the revenue generation. They understand the flow of money, affiliate deals, all the things that go into it. And they run the entire operation. So the ceiling is so high and trying to convince young people a lot of times that getting into sales at first may not sound as as glorious or as uh, as fancy as being a scout or being a coach or something like that. But the upside is gigantic, right?
0: Yes. And, and think about quantifying your role. So if you were, uh, like at the marathon, I, I started in operations, and it was it was hard to quantify, like, was I very good at it or not very good at it? Operations mm. improved. How? People were happy. Um, yeah. You know, you could do, do a post-race survey of were you satisfied with the signage and the start line corrals, but like, what, is, what does that mean, and how does that translate to did we make more money or less money? Right. But someone who's in sales could say, I sold a million dollars, and mm-hmm. that's, that money spends the same for everyone, and they can translate that to that's pretty good. We're probably not paying you a million dollars, so it's probably a good, a good transaction. <laughs> yeah. um, and I, I think until you're sitting on the hiring end and you look at resumes and you're trying to, you know, let's say you're hiring for an operations role, it might be hard to distinguish like one mm-hmm. person from the other. Um, and, and hopefully they're working to quantify what they've done um, in terms of size of events and whatnot. Um, but when it comes to sales, it's, it's much more clear probably who's having success and who isn't. And that's not to say there's not intangible factors that go into it. So the the highest salesperson in terms of dollars may not be your best salesperson. They may have some some negative traits um, and whatnot. But um, I think it allows someone probably to ascend and to translate their skills from organization to organization a little more fluidly than a non-sales role.
1: It's such a good point. We mention all the time on the show when we talk to people about the resume and strategies in that regard, we're always telling them, like, try to incorporate some data points and metrics because that's real. It's, it's not just a fluffy adjective. It's not just a, a way of turning a phrase. It's literally saying, this is the change I've made in an organization. And and sales can really articulate that. And I'll see resumes sometimes that'll have sales numbers or beating quota percentages or callback numbers or whatever. And you're instantaneously like, that, that sounds good, right? Yeah. It's, it's easier to, to quantify.
0: Yeah. For, for anyone um, who's listening and has a, maybe it's a non-sales role, think about how you can quantify your role relative to what the task was. So yeah. it, we'll use the Pittsburgh Penguins for example, um, and we've got a, a helmet partnership with Bold Penguins. So anyone who's watching, I've got a, a Be Bold sticker on my, my water bottle. There's probably 50 people in the organization who could say they like helped get that partnership across the line, right? They yeah. they may have pulled a single report of data. They may have made a graphic. They may have helped with the proposal. And so I'll have people like, oh, did you do the Bold Penguin deal? And my, my blunt response is no one person does a deal. Um, There's many people involved. Um, But if I were to quantify my role to it, I would say, yeah, probably less than 1% of that partnership is tied back to me. Now, if I was the lead on that, or if there was a major operational shift where we hosted 10 events in 11 days and you were the head of operations and a hundred people reported to you, that allows anyone looking at your resume to say, oh, like, 10 events in 11 days, a hundred direct reports. Yeah. That's, that's pretty serious. Um, but if you just said coordinated 10 events, that could be anyone that could be, you know, you, you sat at the door and just checked wristbands, um, which is an important task, but probably Mm -hmm. less influential to the overall event as managing a hundred people.
1: hundred percent. No, it makes perfect sense. And quantifying it in that way and giving it context and making sense to somebody and Being able to articulate yourself in in that way, your value in that way is really smart. Let's go back to education for a second. We've had the conversation a lot on the show about um, the decision to go and get a master's. And it's it's an expensive choice. A lot of people don't have career clarity. And sometimes they'll just say, I'll go get my master's and figure things out. And I don't personally think that's a good choice. You know, it's like you should have a reason for doing it. But what about you? You did go back and get your master's usf is a great program we've had dr bill sutton on the show i've also had known other graduates from the program matter of fact one that works with us who rave about it and the experience they got and it's you can see why that makes sense why did that choice happen for you why did it make sense and how has it kind of changed things for you in your professional career
0: yeah so you know i had been with the marathon for five years two as an intern three full-time and it was a 12 person organization and my my growth there was just plateauing um You know, you can only learn so much. And I wanted to take on my next challenge, um, which was part A. And part B was I wanted to teach someday, whether that was as a full-time professor or as an adjunct. And the next step in that was getting my MBA. And so the first thing I did, I was a Robert Morris undergrad, and I went and talked to the head of the Robert Morris program. And his kind of candid advice to me was, he was like, you probably shouldn't come back here. He was like, you're not going to learn anything new and most importantly, you're not going to meet anyone new. Mm-hmm. And I said, okay, well, that, that's out. It's like, <laughs> you know, good if, advice, though. It's nice did. that they're honest. Yeah. I mean. If anyone was going to sell me on it, right, it would have right. been him. yeah. And so he he said, you know, you should look at a couple programs. And one of them then, was the University of South Florida. And it had only existed for one year at this point. And so I was the second cohort to go through. Oh, and cool. I probably spent a year just asking people. I'd be like, Brian, you know, you and I had met for 15 yeah. minutes. Here's, here's my life, you know, I've been working for a couple of years, here's what I want to do. Um, and I had some people tell me it would be the best decision of my life, and some people say it would be the worst decision. Why would you yeah. quit a job and move away to pay for an education? You already got your education. Um, I ultimately ended up doing it, and I was probably a week into the program, and it was, I was like, it was one of the best decisions of my life. Okay. Um, for a couple reasons. Number one, um, I think having worked for a couple years, three years, you like had an idea of what you knew and what you didn't know. And so when you were in the classroom and they would teach you whatever it was, you understood how to apply it. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas I sensed in the cohort I was in of 27 people was about half were like me. They had gone to they had worked for one to five years, and half were straight out of undergrad. And I sensed the half that were straight out of undergrad. Um, there was a lot more of like, well, when would you ever use this?" You know, why, why is this important? And those who had worked were like, I can tell you why it's important. Like here's a yeah. time when I used it. You know, and at that point in someone's life. So if you go straight from undergrad to grad school, you would be 22 or 23, right? It, that would have been, you've been in school for like every memorable year of your life. You've yep. done nothing but be in school and learn. And then like you're learning those things to apply them. <laughs> and to me, I'm like, don't you want to test it out? Like let's, let's use it on a sports mm-hmm. perspective. Brian, you spent 18 years practicing hockey, skating. Don't you just want to play a game and like see see how you can do out there, challenge yourself? And so then once you play some games, in my case, three years of of playing, uh, working in the sports world, it was, okay, here's what I need to get better at. Um, So let me go back to training camp. We'll we'll stick with the sports analogies. And I'm going to play and practice alongside other people who have played on other teams, who have other perspectives and that was the hidden gem to me that I didn't think about. You know, when when the head of Robert Morris program said you wouldn't meet anyone new, I was thinking like, I already have enough friends. What do I need? Right, right, yeah, it, business it, connections. Yeah, yeah, you meet you meet all these people who are from different parts of the country who work for different teams. And then with the USF program, they have such strong corporate partners mm-hmm. um, that like every class there was someone from the Tampa Bay Lightning there, or the Buccaneers, yeah. or Feld Entertainment, or the Tampa Bay Sports Commission. And so if you wanted to meet these people. Like, they're, they're literally in your classroom. Um, and so, f- for me, like, that was the right decision. You know, some considerations of why you should go straight into grad school. Life gets in the way. Like, assuredly, mm-hmm. your life at 40 may have a mortgage and kids and is probably a little less fluid than someone's life at 22. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but the rush to go into school, like, I'm like, get out on the ice. Play a yeah. game. Play a couple yeah. games. See what happens. Um, but there's this societal push of like you should either be going back to school or have a job. There's, like yep. this I- idea of in between is sometimes frowned upon, and the way I quantify it for people is, you know let's let's say life expectancy is a hundred years. Um, we'll use round numbers um, and so if you're twenty two and it takes you six months to find the dream job, that's not even one percent of your life. like that doesn't even register on the scale yep. um, but there's this you know, someone's graduating in May and it's December right now. What are you doing when you graduate? What are you doing? And if it takes you one, two, six, 12 months, like that's fine. That's okay. Yeah. Certainly but in that
1: moment, it sure feels like pressure, right? Oh,
0: it feels like pressure. Cause you've got yeah. everyone who's everyone who's at that Christmas table or what, whatever holiday you're celebrating. What yeah. are you going to do when you graduate? Yeah. Or you've got that sport management degree. What are you going to do? And mm-hmm. you just don't know. Whereas the, your cousin, the accountant, sitting across the table is like, got I already Got that have,
1: cubicle. He's all fired yeah, up. Ready I've to got,
0: go. Yeah. Got offers from Ernst and & Young and Deloitte. Yeah. and Power it, 5
1: We're all coming after
0: him. Yeah. yeah exactly. Yeah. And that, and that works for him or her. It's not to, to bash that no, career path. No. But this is different. Um, but so, you know, there was a time when I wanted to be on that. I wanted, like, need to have my job now. And I want to have that that sense of security and that, that blanket. I can tell you now being—so I graduated undergrad in 2010. So I'm 11 years out of undergrad. I have friends who assuredly, out of school, made more money and worked less hours than me. Oh, 100%. and percent. And those same people now are like, "Dude, I would do anything to work for the Penguins. I hate my yep. job. It's such a burn. Like, I'm miserable. I just, I want to do something I care about." Mm-hmm. And I'm like, "Oh, that was a job you care about was like not part of the equation when you're coming yeah. out of school. It was." get the job that pays the most money and works the least hours. That that wasn't
1: in the Venn diagram. Exactly. That wasn't in the Venn diagram. My parents were sharing of like, make money and, and uh, have, have security and whatever else. It's like, that was all it was cared about. Nobody talked about purpose. Nobody talked about fulfillment, you know? And now it's all we talk about. Yes. This whole great resignation is all people that feel unfulfilled. Right. I mean, they're, they're, they're resigning from jobs that are good paying jobs sometimes or otherwise. And just saying like, this doesn't do it for me anymore. And I'm, I'm considering something different. We're seeing the, the churn in the sports industry. People are coming more to it now. Cause they're like, I want to do something I enjoy. And I've had the same experience you just articulated. I started out in the same way in the media. I got paid way less than everybody else. I, I worked really weird hours. You know, my off days were like Tuesdays and Wednesdays. I worked every holiday. I went to every, I mean, I was working from seven at night until three in the morning sometimes because, you know, broadcasting shows across the nation. And I loved it, but I wasn't getting paid, but my friends were, and they were working a more standard life. And like you said, a couple years into it, they're all looking at me like, man, what you got is so cool. Yeah. And there was jealousy. And uh, that's the difference. Yeah. So let's talk about partnership sales, because I'm intrigued by this. A lot of people that get into sales, they kind of go the ticket sales, inside sales, that kind of route or whatever. But where you started at uh, Marathon, went and got your master's. Jumped to DC United, and I think there were a couple other little steps in there, but you jumped in DC United, spent almost five years there at corporate partnerships, manager, director, senior director. So you're progressing pretty nicely. Last two with the as a director of uh, partnership sales with the Penguins. There's literally nobody better I could ask these questions because you've got the experience. Let's dig in. I know it's cliche and like no two days are the same and everything is different and every day is unique. We all know that. Yeah, yeah. But give us the overarching, give us a concept, an understanding of like, what does it mean for you to be working in partnerships te- uh, partnership sales for a pro team? Yeah. What is that existence like?
0: Yeah, so my, just for some clarity for anyone listening, um, so there's generally two sides of a partnership department. Um, you have partnership sales, which are your hunters. Um, that group of people is tasked with going and finding new business, meaning people who aren't currently partnering with the team. And then on the other side, you've got um, partnership marketing or partnership activation or partnership mm-hmm. service. You can use kind of the words interchangeably. And they're typically executing the relationships. Um, and so those would be your farmers. Um, yep. e- every team will structure the interaction between the two a little differently. I-, I really like the way we do it here at the Penguins of, like, you are very closely collaborating. So it's not it's not two halves of a yeah. department. Not just that a handoff
1: and it's gone. Yes. And, yeah.
0: Um, so how do we find new partners? So there's um, there's what I would call the mom test. So my mom will text me and say, Have you thought about Amazon? You should go after Amazon. <laughs> and you know, I respond like I've never even heard of them. Let, let me yeah. do some research. Who are these
1: people you speak
0: of? <laughs> yeah, I was like, let me uh Jeff.bezos and Amazon.com. Hi, Jeff. I'm sure you're aware of Let's us. Start up a
1: conversation.
0: Yeah. Um, so so most of the the mom group, like those companies, we they are already partners. Yeah. Um, and if they're not partners, it's because their competitors are. um, At least that's our. And I love scenario- this analogy, by the way. I'm really enjoying yeah. this. Go ahead. <laughs> and so, it, it, at, le- at least that's our scenario here. Um, and so, my, I'm t- so when I came into the role, one of my concerns was, well, who's left? Like you guys, yeah. every major category you have locked up, and it was we. There's still more out there, and so much of my focus is going after someone. Who not only doesn't do sports partnerships, but in many cases, they don't even do marketing. Um, and so I'm going, so one company I'll use an example is Carnegie Robotics. So they're kind okay. of like the OG of Pittsburgh robotics scene, which if you're not from Pittsburgh, probably means nothing to you. But well, they been- a legit. Yeah, sector yes. there. Yeah. Um, and so they pretty much to date, they don't, they don't have any consumer focused products. They've done some work for the Department of Defense, they've done some work in agriculture. Um, it's basically these, they're brilliant. Um, and two years ago, or it was right when COVID started, they had built an autonomous floor scrubber. So if you've ever seen someone driving around a grocery store with a, like the thing goes like six miles an hour, cleaning the floor, um, that's exactly a floor what scrubber. You're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. And so the company that made it, Neil Fisk, had selected them as like the best people at autonomous solutions. Can you automate a floor scrubber? Because- you know, for giant warehouses, that person could be redeployed of like doing and repairing and cleaning other things while this floor scrubber does this very monotonous route. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was a good idea. And then COVID happened and suddenly everyone wanted everything cleaned and wanted to limit human contact. And so they suddenly had a, it wasn't a consumer facing item, but it was something that was applicable to most businesses. And so we started this conversation of like, here's why you should think about building a brand. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, initially their response, because they didn't even have a marketing team. It was their their yeah. CFO. It was like, you know, we love the Penguin, but why would we ever right. partner? Like, I, I don't understand the connection. Well, as we started to unearth some of their challenges, that, you know, a big piece they needed was investor dollars. And they needed help elevating their inv- their profile to investors outside of Pittsburgh. And suddenly you talk to someone in Silicon Valley who may not know about Carnegie Robotics or Robotics Row but knows the Pittsburgh Penguins, mm-hmm. and you can say, we're the official robotics partner of the Pittsburgh Penguins. Elevate your profile a little bit. When it came to their B2B sales, guess who we work with? Just about all of Pittsburgh's largest companies. So again, you want to meet these people. We host events all the time for our partners that are like, uh, it's like uh, mi- mixers, basically. You're like right. spe- speed dating, where everyone's getting together and you're kind of connecting in a very tasteful mm-hmm. way. Um, the other piece is the battle for employee talent, which every company seems to be feeling Um, and much. If you go back to me a couple minutes ago, you mentioned someone wants to work for a company that they're proud of, that they support the mission. And guess what? The company's mission may or may not be supported or at a different level, but we know statistically 65% of the Pittsburgh region are Penguins fans. So they are Mm -hmm. proud of the Penguins. They're excited about the Penguins. And suddenly when you're sitting, we're back at that, that holiday table. And your uncle's like, who are Carnegie Robotics? And your aunt nudges him and says, they're the official robotics partner of the Penguins. Like, oh, yeah, we yeah. saw your thing on Twitter. And that someone listening might be like, what does that have to do with anything? That might keep that person at that company instead of jumping ship to a different company. Yeah. And so and you can quantify that of we could ask them, how much do you spend on employee recruitment? How much does it cost you when an employee turns over? Um, All of these conversations, it took a year of talking to them. So I'm trying to condense a year of conversations into, you know, a a short podcast. But they were someone who had never marketed before or never done material marketing. And they became our official robotics partner. What that does for us then is now when I'm talking to the next uh, other robotics companies in Pittsburgh, um, and they say, why would we ever partner? We don't get it. It actually starts out with, oh, yeah, we saw Carnegie Robotics partnered. We don't quite understand it. But those guys are really good at what they do, so assuredly, like we'll take a closer look Mm -hmm. um, and consider it. And so it started to warm up those conversations, and it led us to have success elsewhere. But that's much of my role because the you know Carnegie Robotics doesn't have a director of sports marketing. Um, Geico probably has a director of sports marketing for Northeast Sports Properties, and he or she, uh, you know, they're not going to say who. Why would we ever work in sports? Like we don't get it. Um, They would probably say, "Here's what we like to buy from teams." yeah um do you have do you have a dashboard?
1: I had on Dan Rossetti, who's a sports recruiter. He runs a, uh, Ascension sports partner, sports recruiting firm. And I asked him about the hardest positions for him to fill. So he gets a company coming to him, a team coming to him and saying, Help us fill this spot. What are the hardest ones? And he said, sponsorship sales and partnership sales are the two hardest jobs he has to f- to fill. Um, does that's two- part question? Does that surprise you to hear that? And what are those skills that are paramount to success in this role? And what
0: makes them so unique? Do you think it does surprise me? Maybe because that's the most people I know, or or my peers. Yeah, you know, or, that's your or, or, that's your squad. Yeah. I'm like, I know a bunch of people in it. Yeah, everybody, everybody I know is in partnership sales. Yeah, um, you know, my hunch is there's probably a lot of uh, good partnership sellers out there. People who would do well at it, they would do fine. But I think your difference between good and great, um, you know, so back to back to the mom test. You know, my mom could tell, hey, you should go after Geico. Thanks. Um, And our Geico proposal probably isn't that unique. Um, Like a good partnership seller could probably put that together. I think there's a lot out there. But I think your great seller is, how do you be the first in something? How do you find the first in a category or be someone's first sports marketing or marketing endeavor? And that's a lot tougher. Um, Because your sale needs to be much stronger and much longer. And it really requires understanding their why. Why would Mm -hmm. they even do this? Um, Versus if you've seen someone buying a Dasher board in another arena, at that point, you're going after them with your what. I saw you bought a Dasher in Columbus. We're pretty close to Columbus. Would you like the what from us? A Dasher. Yeah. Um, Whereas if you're going after a company and, hey, I was reading through your annual report and I saw X, Y, Z. We've helped another company with something similar. I'd love to learn more about your company and see if there's a, you know, if there's ways we can work together. And I think there's maybe fewer of those yeah. um, to do those unique and those complex types of sales.
1: Yeah, and if the career path for a lot of people is they start out in in ticket sales, maybe group sales, you know, and they're used to talking to church groups or whatever it may be, it's a big jump to then start talking to CEOs and major decision makers and putting together these really well thought out presentations. So I can see why. I mean, I can see why some people might struggle to make that jump, but it's, it's pretty Im- impressive to see you know, how you go about it from a strategic standpoint and bring that creativity into the mix as well.
0: Yeah, and I think the, you know, a lot of people, it's hammered home of climb that ticketing ladder. You want to do insert whatever in sports, you start in ticketing. And I'll be blunt, I don't really agree with that. Yeah. Um, like, there's certainly the most opportunities there. And a lot of people will go into sales and maybe realize they don't like it or find success in it. But what I, you know, I've seen other people sellers who, who are successful in ticket sales and they try to make the jump to partnership sales. And that can be a challenge for some people because the, the timing and the volume are just very different. You know, and it's reasonable in ticket sales. Brian, I could call you today and you might say, yeah, let me check with my buddy and I'll get back to you tomorrow about those tickets. If I called you about a partnership, it's probably going to be two weeks before I hear from you. And then we're going to yep. take another two weeks schedule meeting. And then after that meeting will be two weeks. We'll have a proposal and then you'll say, we're doing our annual review in a month, so we'll talk then. And after your annual review, you'll tell me, uh, we're we're buying another company or we're moving offices, so it's going to be another month. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I've had, you know, ticket sellers where I'm like, it might be nine to 12 months before you have your first sale that you took start to finish. Yeah. And they might be used to, you know, nine days is like, they're out. And yep. I'm like, I don't know, like, like your, your totally time is a lot longer. In your volume of companies. So let's say your entry-level investment for a partner is $50,000 or $100,000, like your list, your book of lists is pretty small. Your funnel's pretty narrow, yeah. yeah. If I'm selling you tickets and it's it's $50 for a ticket, the majority of the population, or probably at least half the population, has the disposable income to do that, where if Mm -hmm. someone wanted to go to a game, they could. And so you could, in theory, just go through a phone book all day, call people all the time, like at any given point, there's probably 40 companies that I'm focusing my time and energy on. Wow. Um, because if you get a hold of the the COO at a Fortune 500 company, you better have like a damn good idea of what you're going to talk about. <laughs> yeah. um, and it better still be should be a, that
1: moment, a
0: learning session. But, um, you know, if I got him or her on the phone and they're like, so what did you want? It's really like, I want to schedule a time to talk with you where you've got 30 minutes dedicated to this. Yeah. And versus... Uh, you know, maybe something that's a little more transactional. Mm -hmm. Um, And sometimes that transition is just hard. So, you know, on the partnership side, we try to celebrate successes along the way. So, hey, you got a meeting, Brian? Love it. We're going to celebrate that. You got it because we know every other meeting results in a proposal. You got a proposal out there? Love it because we know 25% of our proposals close. You got a follow-up meeting? Love it. You know, because we've we've tracked some of these metrics. Because if you're only tracking the end sale, um, it can get discouraging. It can get discouraging. Yeah. And I've, funny enough, usually by the time someone signs the contract, um, like in my my Carnegie Robotics example, you know, I think they had kind of verbally committed, we want to do this. And then just like took them some time to sign the agreement. And so by the time it was signed, people were like, wasn't that signed like three months ago? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> like the, the celebration is over. And they're like, shouldn't you be doing something else? I'm like, no, I've been trying to like get some autographs here on this agreement. Yeah, we got to get it
1: over the finish line, like officially over the finish line. That's crazy. So, okay, the last five to seven years, not just because of the pandemic, but fan behaviors, fan expectations have all changed. Like everything's kind of different. The fan experience is different from when I broke into the industry, definitely. And then even more so in the last five to seven years, I'm guessing partner expectations change as well. What are the biggest things you've seen happen in in your time from like D.C. United until now, as you've seen kind of behaviors and expectations change and how does that affected
0: your role? Yeah, I think um, the idea of like the contract being your the authority, like to me, the contract is the absolute bare minimum that you should be doing, um, you know, because your partnership should be much more like a relationship. Um, and so if you went to your spouse and said, these are the three things we agreed to do, and you're not going to do anything beyond that, it's probably, he or she is probably not going to be your spouse for much longer, um, because (laughs) that's not a relationship. Um, but yet you'll still see, uh, you know, like a a line that drives me nuts is when someone says that's not in the contract or do we have to do that? And my blunt response would be, we don't have to do that. And they also don't have to renew when their time's up. So like, let's pick our poison here. And certainly there's limits to, you know, things you might do as a bonus or incentive for someone, but, you know, we always try to find a reason to say yes or a way Mm -hmm. to say yes. Um, And so I'll give you a, a, actually, I didn't intend it, but a real life Carnegie Robotics example that happened yesterday. So it was a customer of Carnegie Robotics who was bringing his family to a game, to last night's game. And they live in Chicago, two little boys, I think they're eight and five, and so they land in Pittsburgh from Chicago and they get an alert. The game has been postponed. Mm-hmm. And so Monday night, you know, the guy who's my main contact at Carnegie Robotics sends me a text. He's like, hey, I have a big favor to ask. You can say no. And to me, I'm like, sweet, like, bring it on. Like, I, I want to say yes yeah. to this. I want to find a way to say yeah. yes. And, it, you know, he told me the story. And he's like, could you do anything for him? I was like, bring him to the arena. We'll take him on a tour. So we get, so we get, we take these kids on the tour. The kids and their parents, but always the kids were excited, you know. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, let the kids sit on the Zamboni. Um, show them by the locker rooms, take them on the player bench. And these kids are just like loving life. Yep. Life-changing moment. We went and picked up, we have a partner the Milkshake Factory, went and picked up milkshakes for them, had them brought to the arena. So the kids had milkshakes. And, you know, like I I saw eight-year-old and five-year-old me in those kids of like how awesome it was. And like that would never be in a contract. Like we'll do one tour, private tour on a canceled event day. But for us, it was like, Absolutely we'll do it. But some other teams, you know, maybe your good partnership team says, sorry. Yeah, yeah. sorry. Don't have the time, not in the contract, Don't have the time. Busy. Yeah. Because like, you know, like it took whatever, an hour of my time and there was two or three others. And and someone might say, Yeah, that's four people who are never maybe never gonna buy tickets again. They live in Chicago. Um, and I'm like, why wouldn't we? We have the opportunity to yeah. l- let's ignore the business thing to make the like the lives so much happier of two little kids. Who love hockey, they're wearing their Penguins garb. Um, and then, from a business perspective, like when your main person comes to you and says, I have a favor to ask. Like yep. uh, imagine if you're the the president of your organization came to you and said, Hey, I have a favor to ask. You don't have to say yes, but I have a favor. Um, your, mind,
1: your frame of mind should be, I got to get to yes.
0: Yeah, like I want to find right. a way to say yes. And like his ask was also pretty reasonable. He wasn't like, yeah. Can we hoist their names to the rafters or something <laughs> crazy? He yeah. was like, Can you take them on a tour? Which to me, I'm like, Wait, can I like spew trivia on two little kids for an hour and like watch watch <laughs> yeah, yeah. their smiles when they go in the bench? Like, yeah. yeah, what a what a cool use Sounds of my like time. a fun break. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, so so things like that. Um, really, one of the reasons I love partnerships because we're encouraged to do those mm-hmm. types of things, and you know that won't be why Carnegie Robotics would choose to partner with us or not. But you know, if you probably added up like the different things we do for our partners throughout the year that aren't in the agreement. I think that's a big difference of today versus seven years ago. Like right. there's no shortage of places to spend your money and time um, if you're a corporate partner. And so you're gonna do it with someone who you know you like and you trust. And you know, like and trust to the point where you can say, hey, I've got a client who brought his kids and like the kids are pretty sad. And we they actually told him like Santa Claus surprised Santa Claus heard that the game was canceled, yeah. or postponed rather. And hooked him up with this tour. So I was I was, I was an elf, I guess.
1: <laughs> you played the role of elf. Can't yeah. go wrong with that. Yeah,
0: can't go wrong with that.
1: No, we'll finish up with this. I'm so appreciative of your time. You've given us so much insight and I really do appreciate it. You found your fit in partnership sales. You can just hear the way your your voice kind of glows as you talk about it. The challenge, the creativity, makes total sense. A lot of young people in our audience are trying to figure that thing out, figure out their fit. What kind of advice, as you kind of look back on how you navigated to this point, what kind of advice would you give to the audience to say, you know, here's, here are some ways to help you figure this out too?
0: Yeah. So when I was a senior in undergrad, things that I knew assuredly that I wanted to do were operations, community relations, social media, and marketing. And the one thing that I knew I didn't want to do was sales. Yeah. And the re- the only way I learned that I was wrong about all five of those predictions was by <laughs> doing them. So at the, you know, I was fortunate enough at the Dick sporting it's Pittsburgh marathon that I was, you know, I was full-time hire number like three or four. Um, and so I got to, you know, no one was managing our social media channels. And I said, I raised my hand, I'll, I'll do this. Yeah. And came to find out like, just cause you think you're funny on your personal Twitter, like managing a company's social media account is way different. And for totally me I'm different. Like, yeah. For me, I'm like, I don't this isn't fun. Um
1: Yeah, there's like funny around your family, like family reunion funny, and there's funny like globally funny, like yes. you actually make other people laugh. Yeah. Yes. They don't know you. Yeah. Again. Yeah. It. Is
0: this on is this on brand for us <laughs> and our corporate partners? And yeah. I was like, oh, this isn't what I thought it was. And it turned out sales, the thing that I didn't want to do. You know, so my advice would be try. Um, like don't dismiss anything until you've tried it. If you try sales, so' the person who's sitting there who says, I looks wrong. I, I haven't tried sales, I know, do. I don't like sales. Just try it. Yeah, Try it. and if you hate it, that's fine. Like check it off the list. You know that's not the path for you, but you may do it and realize, I really like this and I'm good at it, and I've opened up a lot of new career opportunities. So whether that's through an internship or volunteer opportunities, you can get a pretty good pulse on what you want to gravitate towards. That said, It's okay not to know when people are like, what's your dream job? I'm like, I don't know. Like, I I think it's right now. And maybe at some point it's not. Maybe I tire of partnerships or I want to do something else. So, you know, the idea of talking to a senior in college of like, what what do you want to do for a living? That's a big, that's a big question. I don't don't know the answer to that. And it's okay to not know. Um, That said, you maybe should have some, some guardrails of like, here's kind of what I think I want to do. And I've tried sales and I didn't like it, but I've worked in some social media with X team and I do like it. And so I'm going to try to pursue a path there. Um, You know, so probably to summarize, just be open-minded at this stage. There's really not a benefit to being closed-minded other than closing potential doors. And those might be the greatest doors for you to walk through where you unlock your hidden talent that you didn't know you had. And that thing that you didn't know you loved because you closed the door on it too early.
1: Mhm. And I do think to your point there's a lot of value in trying things and even finding out you don't like them and getting that kind of narrowing like you said in the guardrails. Like I've talked to people who go on internships and they're like, "Oh my god, I thought I wanted to work in the NFL and I hated it." Yeah. And they're like, "Now what do I do? I'm panicking." And I'm like, "No, no, no, it's better to know that now." Yeah. Than after you've graduated and you've taken the job and you've moved and whatever yes. else. Like this pump this discovery, like when you're when you're young and in college discover, you know, like be open to Good, bad, try things. All of that is so important. So I love that advice. I really appreciate you coming on the show and sharing all this insight into partnership sales. Uh, Carnegie Robotics, I mean, we're big fans now. I yeah. want to get a milkshake from the milkshake. Was it the milkshake
0: factory? <laughs> is that what you said? Yeah, it's the milkshake factory. When jake I, We need to when, make that happen. Yeah. When Jake Gensel scores, the Jake shake is half off the next day. Um, he, <laughs> he's, in, he's, he's injured right now. Um, But prior to his injury, he had like a 12-game point streak. So it was— Oh, lots
1: of free shakes. Yeah, it was like more or
0: less like if you you went there, you had a pretty good chance of his shake being half off. Um, So yeah. Who doesn't love a good
1: milkshake? I mean, that's fantastic. So I I really appreciate this, Luke. Uh, So great having you on the show. I really appreciate it.
0: Yeah, much appreciated, Brian.
1: Thank you to Luke for kicking off 2022. What a great way to start the year. So much great information. I cannot emphasize this enough so many people will say when i tell them consider sales consider sales consider sales right it's a great way to make money it's a great way to grow really develop revenue there will always be opportunities there and there's a high ceiling people look at me like what are you crazy but listen to what luke's saying listen to the creativity that comes to it listen to the business and the planning and the foresight and the thought process that goes into it it's not just dialing for dollars They are making presentations to CEOs. They are really being creative about opportunities and what they can do out there. There's so many avenues in the sports world for sales jobs that are outside of just dialing the phone. So please broaden your perspective and see the opportunities that lie before you. Thank you so much to Luke for coming on the show. Thank you to all of you for listening. It is such a joy to kick off 2022. I know this is going to be our best year ever. So please rate, review, subscribe, be a part of our growth story and continue to be a part of this community. Thank you so much for listening and I will see you next week.